This Westwards mini masterclass is a production of Westwards, the Western Sydney Literature Organisation. For more information on Westwards and what we do, please go to westwards.com.au. Hello and welcome to today's mini masterclass with me, James Roy. I'm the host of uh, your podcast today. I am a program manager at Westwards and today I am delighted to be talking with Jane Godwin. How are we, Jane? Are we well? You're telling me it's warm in Melbourne today. It is very warm in Melbourne today, James. It's about 30 degrees and quite humid, but no rain. We need rain here. You need rain. We, I'm in the Blue Mountains and it hasn't stopped raining for about three weeks now. So you can have some of ours if you'd like. We'll send it down the hill to you. My garden would love a bit of a bit of rain. Our garden would like a bit of sun, so it sounds <laughs> good. So, Jane, you're one of these people who worked as a publisher for a long time while you were working as a writer, and I'm keen to know. Uh, well, first of all, we'll talk a little bit about your your varying career. I mean, you've written over 35 books, many of them picture books, some young adult and children's fiction in there. In fact, you're your book, uh, When Rain Turns to Snow, was shortlisted for the Prime Minister's Literary Award last year. And so congratulations on that. That was a wonderful book. Thank you, Jane. Um, now, here, here's the thing. Um, you worked as a publisher at Penguin for a long time. And which came first, the the writing or the publishing? Um, probably uh, the publishing, James, or the I should really say the editing. So I was an editor, obviously, before I was a publisher, and um, it was while I was an editor that I sort of experimented with, with writing myself. But I certainly wasn't one of those people who always wanted to be a writer. And um, I actually wanted to be a photographer or a child psychologist when I was, you know, growing up. And um, then I actually worked in the television industry disastrously for about a year when I finished disastrously. Um, You're not going to tell us why, how it was disastrous, right? Oh, it was. I was just so bad at it, and um, <laughs> I actually worked for Crawford Productions. It doesn't exist anymore, but they used to make, you know, Cop Shop and um, Skyways. Remember that one about the the um, airline and Homicide and the Sullivans, and um, so that my kids think it's really funny that I worked in television because I actually am not particularly interested in television and I never really watched it much as a child but I did work at Crawford Productions for about a year as a production coordinator and I, I really wasn't very good at it and I left that job and I was actually unemployed and a friend of my mum's actually I always loved reading and stories and books I was I was always a huge reader and um, and I think I had a good sort of um, I was an imaginative child. Um, but so when I was unemployed in my early, I was about 21 or something, like burnt out at 21, having gone to uni and already stuffed up a job. And um, <laughs> a friend of my mum saw this job in the age, um, a job uh, uh, ad uh, for Penguin Books. At Penguin Books, they were in Wingwood at that time as a an assistant in the marketing department. And I think I'm the only person I know, James, who actually applied for a job in the newspaper and, and got the job. Like, usually it's always, you know, friends of friends or mm-hmm. some connection or something. But I applied for that job and I got the job in the marketing department at Penguin. I was 21. And it really went from there. Um, so I was working marketing kids' books and 
um, then uh, Julie Watts, who was the publisher there for many years, asked me if I would like to transfer across and be a trainee editor when I'd been there for, I don't know, a couple of years, I think. And um, so that was the beginning of my career as an editor. And from there, I became a publisher. But the writing bit, it was actually, I have Julie to thank, really, because when I was working with her, we were doing these, um, they were called Picture Puff and Fast Books, and they were... Um, they did them in the UK and they were like sort of narrative non-fiction picture books and we were um, wanting to do some Australian ones and I was always really interested in Antarctica. I am very interested in Antarctica. I've never been there but it's a place that really fascinates me and Julie Watts said to me, why don't you write one about Antarctica? And initially I said, oh no, I don't think I could do that and, you know, all of the usual procrastination and it actually took me three years to write it but that was my first book and um, so I wrote the the book about Antarctica, which was a, a picture of Puffin. Um, and then we were just um, launching the Aussie Bites. Um, yep. you, you might um, And you might have even written some of them, James. I, I remember that. Um, I, I, I say this um, without any bitterness whatsoever, but I, I submitted several and never got one up. But, you know, that's okay. I'm sure that wasn't your fault. I'm sure it wasn't <laughs> when I was the publisher of them. There are other publishers of them. Now, this is one problem with being both a writer and a publisher, James. Yeah. Is that right? say to you, you rejected my book 15 years ago or something. Yeah. But, um, That's why anyway, I don't talk to you so, very much. I'm still no. still bitter. Although, having said that, occasionally I do get someone who says to me, you rejected my book 15 years ago, but you gave me really good feedback or you were extremely supportive and encouraging. And, um, like, I did always try to be. I think as a publisher, I, I, I was... Well, I, I was on the side of the of the writer, I think. But um, so anyway, after I did the the Antarctica book, we were just launching those Aussie bites, and I thought, oh, I might have a go at one of them. And then I wrote one called Debbie Steve, the Garbos and Me, and that was actually shortlisted for the New South Wales Premiers. So that sort of just gave me confidence, I think. And then it really went from there. So I sort of became a writer, not accidentally, but it certainly wasn't something that you know I saw myself necessarily doing. Yeah, because I, I, I know a number of people who have, I mean, Sue Whiting is another one who comes to mind who worked as publisher at Walker Books for a long time and and was publishing at the same time. Does, yeah. it, put, does it put pressure on you as a, as a publisher when you're writing something and you think, this is something that I, I'm really kind of keen to explore and finish and I'm enjoying this project, but it may not be right for the publisher I'm working for? Yeah, well, yes, that does happen when i was working at penguin most of my books were published by penguin and kids often say to me when i talk about this in schools they say oh so did you just like give yourself your book and then you published your book (laughs) it wasn't like that because there was always more than one publisher at penguin so i I couldn't i didn't submit my book to myself i did submit it to um to other publishers within the company Um, and sometimes you know you think it might be, you know, nepotism or working in your favour, but in some ways I reckon it was almost the opposite mm. because, you know, we were very aware that it couldn't be seen like that. And Penguin did pick up just about all of them. There was one, a picture book I wrote called When Elephants Lived in the Sea, which is now out of print, but it's a really wacky sort of, it's almost like a fable, but it's all based on elephant evolution. And Penguin rejected that when I was there and that was picked up by Lothian and by Helen Chamberlain and it was published there. So... Um, but yeah, I think when I was there, I did basically send everything to show everything to Penguin first and they, they did pick up most of them, but, but not all of them. Part of the, uh, 
challenge of being a writer, I think, is is basically exposing yourself to to a stranger, if if you like, by sending them a manuscript for a, for a novel or whatever that that is such a personal thing. And of course, we all understand as writers that that that's part of this that's part of the deal is that you. You, you do expose yourself to a certain point. But there's always a kind of filter between yourself. There's either an agent or if you've got an agent and they kind of sh- shelter you from the or shield you from the difficult conversations a lot of the time. Or it might be somebody in another state. In my case, it was Leonie Tile, who I hadn't physically met until I think my second book came out. And, and you've sort of always got that next line of protection of, uh, of yourself from from that awkwardness, if you like. But when you work in the same building as someone, is that tricky? Yeah, it is tricky, James. Yeah, and certainly, I suppose in some ways it's not easier, but they don't have to, like, I know, you know, I know the sales figures. I know, well, I don't anymore because I no longer work for Penguin, you know, in-house, but Mm. I did then. So I was privy to information about my books that other authors would maybe have to sort of seek through their agent or, you know, through the publisher and they might not tell them everything sort mm. of thing. So you did know, you, you were exposed sort of what's and all to what was happening with your books. And also I think that people could be more blunt with me. And even to this day, people say, I know you get this because you're, you're a publisher, but, you know, this is the, the bottom line with this situation where maybe if I was an author who hadn't worked in publishing, they wouldn't reveal everything to me like that. So, mm. um, But maybe I did have a little bit of a skin James because you know I I was quite realistic about aspects of publishing that maybe an author who hadn't worked in the industry you know just wouldn't know about um but it was also I think it's actually really hard and you might know this you know yourself if you've read friends work um I find it actually quite hard to judge when you do know someone really really well because you can sort of hear them in the voice if you're reading a manuscript you know to give them some feedback I find it quite difficult to be completely objective when it's someone I know extremely well um, because you sort of know so much about them. So you're, when you're reading the book, you're not just reading it like a reader would who doesn't know the author and you think, oh, I know what that, you know, that's there. I know why that's in there. <laughs> Being like, so sometimes it's hard to judge really objectively. So maybe um, other, you know, my colleagues at Penguin found that with me too, that they knew me very well. So they sort of, you sort of see the book in it, see the work in a slightly different way. But, and you're so right, James, that whole thing of, I don't think you really ever understand um, until you have written yourself quite what that vulnerability is like when you're literally taking something that you, you know, your heart and soul, and you're basically throwing it on the ground and saying, here it is, world, mm. trample on it. <laughs> and I actually had this really interesting email correspondence with a, with a young writer just yesterday, and uh, she does. She doesn't work in publishing, but she works in. You know, she's a librarian and she's involved in the CBC and things like that. And and she's just about to put out her her first novel. And she was saying, you know, she never. She was really. She felt quite terrified <laughs> at the prospect. And I said to her, "Don't worry, it doesn't get any better. Like I still feel bad every time. So, and I'm sure you know you you know that feeling too, James. So, um, I think maybe that's one of the things as being both a, a publisher and a writer perhaps like you'd have more sensitivity or understanding to what that really feels like. Because I think even if you're a brilliant editor, I don't know, do you ever really, can you ever really understand 
what it is like to make yourself that vulnerable as writers do. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you, you're talking about being an editor and a publisher and a writer. And is there a particular headspace you need to go to? They're, very, they're all very different skills. Are you able to switch gears in your head as you're working on in diff- I mean, I know you're not with Penguin anymore, but it, when you were doing those three different jobs, is there a gear change that you have to make in your head when you sit down at your desk? Oh, definitely, yeah. And like, although I'm not at Penguin anymore, I do still do a tiny bit of sort of consultant publishing with people I, I used to work with when I was at Penguin, but, but not that much anymore. But I still do a little bit, so I still sort of have my, my toe in that world a tiny bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's really interesting now that I think it's because of the way the the courses in the uni courses are structured. You know how a lot of the courses are degrees in publishing and mm. or editing and writing. Like there's always a writing component. And back in the day when well when I went to uni, they didn't have creative writing courses. You just did an arts degree or you did whatever. You know, um, people came from everywhere. Mm. Um, I feel like. Um, it's interesting that now the sort of courses put both those things together because to me, the writer's world and the publisher's or editor's world are very, very different. Like the writer's world is very, when you're, you know, when you're writing, it's a very introvert, you know, it, it, the world of it is very introvert and it's small and it's internal and it's very personal and very vulnerable, as we've said. And, um, and a publisher's world is much more extrovert and expansive and sort of collegiate and, um, you know, sometimes market-driven. So, it's, you know, it's quite a different headspace. So, um, yes, I saw them as, as really quite different. And I think probably the reason that I... Well, I know, actually, the reason... Because I was a publisher at Penguin for about a decade and I had actually worked at Penguin for 30 years, but I was a publisher for the last 10 of those years. And... Um, what, you know, people often say to me, oh, you, you, like in the last couple of years, oh, now you're moving into writing novels. And I'm like, oh, I always write novels. I was doing but that the whole like time, I, yeah, yeah. Before I became a publisher. And then I think when I was a publisher, I just didn't have that, and it's, you know, a fault in me, but I, and some people can do it, but I just didn't have that creative energy at the end of the day for novels. So I think that was why, I mean, picture books are my first love. I adore picture books and I will always write them and I will always love them. But I do feel writing a picture book isn't easier than writing a novel, but you can do it in chunks of time in a different way than with a novel. Like when I write a novel, I need to sort of go away for two weeks and sort of live in it or something and really immerse myself in the world of those characters. And I just really found that at the end of a a busy day being a publisher, which is also a really creative job, um, I just didn't have that emotional and creative energy to put into novels. So really the main reason I left being a publisher was because I thought, I do want to write novels and I know I'm just never going to do it if I have this very demanding full-time job being a publisher. So, um, yeah, but to me they're very different approaches and headspaces. Mm. And I, I love them because... I love doing the writing because I can do it on my own and I love doing the publishing because I love working in a team. I love the collaborative nature of that. And you still get that a little bit if you're a writer with picture books because you're sort of writing it, you know, it's like more of a team sort of situation. Um, so I love both of them, but it's hard to do both of them in the same light. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, Leonie Tile, who I'm sure you know well, um, yeah. from UQP and and is now working as a oh she she was at Random House for a while and she's also now now she's working as a private consultant. But Leonie um, <laughs> told me a story about one time she was at the Tire State with uh, you know John Marsden's 
place up in the bush and, and yeah. she, it was a publishing weekend or an editing weekend and she was there as a consultant and she said someone tried to pass her a manuscript under the stall of the uh, of the toilet and <laughs> <laughs> which is you know the 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 brazenness of that is just remarkable um I, I did say to her at the time, I said, there's a very easy response to this. It's just, oh, thank you. I, I, we had run out of paper in this store. But but, <laughs> but the, the point of my question, and uh, sorry to embarrass you, Leanne, but um, when you're a writer as well as a publisher and someone comes up to you at, say, a, a, a conference and you're there or a, a CBC conference or a festival or whatever and you're there as a writer, I guess you have that kind of stopgap where you can say when they come can I show you a manuscript you go oh, I'm here as a writer this week I'm not here as a publisher or is that something that you weren't really ever able to separate no I have to say I probably wasn't able to separate it James and um although I think because I was working at Penguin I, I can't remember many times where I felt that conflict maybe I just never went to festivals and things because I was too busy working at Penguin but um I, yeah, I, I mean, it, it must have happened, but I don't remember that ever being a real problem. But I think also I, I'm someone who does find it quite different, difficult to compartmentalise aspects of my life. So I think I just would have said, yeah, sure, I'll have a look at it or whatever. Or <laughs> don't bother me now, I'm, I'm, I'm having a drink. It's, it's six o'clock. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I might say just send it, send it to the office and I'll have a look at it when I'm at work. Yeah. Right. So, then, then you no, give, you, you give them someone have... else's office address, right? <laughs> Leonie's. <laughs> but um, yeah, I I know I wasn't really ever able to uh, separate those aspects out of of my life. I don't think, and um, you know, I I sort of admire people who can in a way, but um, it's a bit like you know, people say say with their or this is a bit different, but say with you know people's social media accounts, and they say I have this one, and this is just about me as a creator, or me as an artist, mm. or me as whatever family or whatever and I'm just like oh people would look at mine and think oh god you know what a mess <laughs> because it's like you know it's my whole life just thrown in so yeah. you know I was never very at separating things out but um and I mean occasionally you know people have asked me too oh, what happens if you're writing something and then something comes in that is similar you know how a lot of mm. emerging writers often have quite a fear of their ideas being stolen or you know things like that and that's often something that people ask me was oh you know um well i'll just cross that off my list jane because that was one of my questions carry on oh oh well <laughs> I can say it only ever happened once um where i was writing something it was just i think it was an aussie bite it was an aussie bite actually or might have even been an aussie nibble and um libby gleason told me about a, an idea that she she, she didn't know I was writing anything, and she and actually, interesting. I don't think she ever wrote it either. It was something about remember those um, Hannah Hannah books that she wrote. Mm, they were yeah, oh, yep, yep. Uh, Hannah's room and, and yeah. yeah. And well, this is my memory anyway. Libby might remember it differently, but I, I think she told me that she wanted to do a story about. And now they don't even have this. I don't think um, uh, school injections. Do you remember going to school mm. and having to have when you're in? we had to have it in prep and then year seven or whatever. And I had, I was writing an obvious about that and I never said anything to Libby, but I just thought then, okay, put that aside. Yeah. You, you can't, you know, so, so, and I never wrote that, but then just thinking times, I don't know that Libby did either. So maybe I can go back and do the school injections. Although I don't think they have injections at school anymore. 
No, I, I remember they used to give you a little tiny white, a little plastic spoon with a couple of drops of pink stuff on it for polio. Or was that smallpox? Yeah, that was, I don't I, know. Wasn't it? That was for polio, yeah. But that was um, that was the only time that it ever happened, you know, where I consciously thought, oh, okay, n- no. Um, but there were lots of times where I felt completely paranoid about it, where I would think, oh, is that similar to something I'm writing? And then I'd show it to someone and they'd be like, no, they're both about, you know, girls at school. Like, so is, so, you know, 80% of books for 12-year-olds sort mm. of thing. So I think I became very sensitive to that. Um, but sometimes it would happen that it, it was, you know, like that weird way that the world is where ideas... Like when I wrote my Antarctica book that year, there were like seven books about Antarctica mm. came the kids. <laughs> and um, I know when Anna Walker and I did the Starting School book years ago, we did a picture book about Starting School 15 years ago or something. And that year, I think there were three or four Australian books about starting school that all came out in that year. And we put that down to Kay Sager, who was a bookseller at, at the time. And for years, she kept saying to me and Anna, you need to do a book about starting school. There's a lot of lovely ones out there, but we need a new one. We need a fresh one, a contemporary one. And I think she probably said that to a whole lot of authors. So we were all mm. busy writing books about starting school. So that was one where it felt a bit weird, but it, we had no idea that anyone else was doing that. So well, here's something to think about, Jane, is the fact that, and I'm sure you have thought about this, but the the kids who were bought that book just before they started school have all left university now. Well, you know, <laughs> I, that book was based on a book that I made with my daughter Lizzie and her friends when, when they were in prep. We made a book about the first few months of being at school and a lot of the, the lines of dialogue in that starting school book are actual lines that those kids told me about their experiences oh, well, of yeah. And I've still got that book, and we made it in May 1998. <laughs> and Lizzie's now about to have her first baby, so she's 29. So right, yeah. Um, my my daughter yeah. um my daughter was just starting school when I wrote Captain Mac, and now now she teaches that to her Year Five class, which is a re- oh, really see, nice kind uh, of thing. That's sort of beautiful, though. Yeah, it is. It? it is nice. Um, she still hasn't invited me for a author visit though, which I'm a little bit <laughs> upset by. Uh, the, the other question I was going to ask you is um, and obviously we're not. On, actually, before we get to that, I was just going to relate a quick, quick anecdote of my own. A particular writer in Australia who I shan't mention her name, but everyone will know who I'm talking about, who writes a lot of historical fiction books, basically five a year. Um, I had a really good idea about a piece of Australian history, and I went to the, went to the trouble of telling her about it. And she said, why are you telling me about this? And I said, because now I will know that if you publish it, you've pinched it from me. And it was just a way of, of sort of inoculating myself against um, against this idea because it was such a good idea and I wanted to kind of reserve it, if you like. And I thought if anyone's going to write it, it's going to be her. Um, and I'm not I'm not at all accusing her of stealing it, but that was exactly my reason was to go, okay, so let's put a, li- let's put a marker down here. This is my story. I still haven't got to writing it, so if she goes ahead and writes it now, I'll have to forgive her. You need to write it because you know that Elizabeth Gilbert story, how she never wrote the yeah. book about the people on Amazon and then someone else wrote it? Yeah. And then did she did she write yeah. Eat Pray Love? Yeah, she did. Yeah, so, so she just basically went on that trip to kind <laughs> of make herself feel better about that other book, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, look, uh, the, the, very quickly, one more question for you. And obviously, we're not going to have names here either. But were there, did you ever have a, a contracted writer, for example, and their work came across your desk, and you know you, you read it and went, 
Oh man, really? This this just doesn't stack up. Like, like said that it was no good. Yeah, and that you kind of think I, I can do better than this. I know that's going to sound hubristic, but did you ever have that thought? Um, no, I have to say I I didn't, James. I certainly I often think if emerging writers could see the early drafts of really established writers' books, the emerging writers would feel much more confident. Like um, I certainly read drafts of of some contracted writers where I thought, well, there's a lot of work to do here. Mm. But I think I could always see, well, I suppose it's, it's really the, my role as a publisher to um, really try and enter the writer's world and see the work from their point of view and somehow try and bring that underlying scheme or pattern of the book. like and See, what, see the heart of it. Try yeah. And, yeah, try and make the story look mm. like it, it has arrived whole, I suppose. And, so I, what I, there were certainly things I would have read there where I would have thought, yeah, this needs a lot of work. And you know, if if someone else could see that this is coming from this writer, that would be very interesting for them. Sort of. I thing. don't like think anybody, any of us, would want to be judged by our first draft, though, would we? No, 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 no. And but also, I think some writers, you know, they, what you learn as a publisher too, is that some writers, what what they submit to you, you know, it's it. it it, there's going to be a lot of changes and a lot of rewriting. And some writers are really much better at rewriting than other writers. And some writers enjoy the rewriting process mm. more than other writers. So once you get to know the writers you're working with as well, you think, okay, this person, yeah, this is pretty scrappy and the whole middle section doesn't work, but I know this person can rewrite and that's what they're intending to do and that'll be fine. And then others, you think this has got a problem and I know this person is only going to make superficial changes. So then it's like a different approach you take with that author, I suppose. Um, but I suppose what I, I always, I always tried to do was try and understand the writer's vision or where they were coming from. And sometimes that's hard because sometimes the writer themselves is not really fully aware of what that vision is or they've sort of lost track of it. And mm. I know that as a writer you know sometimes I think what am I even trying to say here um and or the writer can't quite articulate it because they're sort of discovering what the vision is as they're writing it but um yeah I suppose I always tried not to sort of judge it just to think okay where are they coming from what what are they what are they wanting to do with this with this piece of work and how can I help them achieve that and sometimes if you felt something was pretty scrappy or not up to scratch or whatever you, you try and you know talk with the writer and and get to the bottom of what they're trying to do with the story and then try and help them achieve that I suppose um but yeah I think I just really I I never really thought I could do something better because I think you just realize that all writers just are so unique and work in really different ways and have really different processes and so it was really more about okay how can I help them make that the best it can be and I suppose once I became a writer myself one thing I really appreciated from editors, and this might even sound like I'm contradicting myself here, was honesty. Like, mm. was, you know, if you think, oh, this isn't up to scratch or this is a real problem or something, how am I going to tell them that? I really tried to work out how I could be as honest as I had to be without, you know, destroying the, the mm. relationship or whatever. And so often, like all my emails and conversations, I used to always say, I'm just, I just want to be really honest with you here because I thought that's what I want from an editor. Yes. I want them to be me. I don't want, you know, I'd much rather they were honest with me before the book's published. And then rather than, 
you know, it's published and somebody criticizes it and the editor might say, yeah, I actually always thought that or, you know, I tried, you know, I feel like you've got to be as honest as you can, but you also have to be on the side of the author. So do you think, um, do you think being a writer made you a better publisher or do you th- an editor or do you think being an editor made you a better writer? That's a really good question. Um, I think being a writer did make me a better publisher because of what we've talked about mm. earlier with that, do you ever really understand how hard it is yes. <laughs> to be a writer? Well, actually, it made me a more sympathetic publisher and more. I had more empathy probably. I mean, I always had empathy with writers, but I think I had more once I was a publisher, which probably really annoyed other people at the publishing house because they'd always think, oh, Jane's going to be on the side of the author here, you know. But authors need an advocate Um, at publishers. That's often what an agent will do, but it's good to have one of those uh, at the publishing house as well. I agree, Jane, because sometimes, like sometimes, you you know, in in publishing houses, you feel like Jane's the author's not the enemy. Mm. That's right. You know, and we always laugh because sometimes people, some people really love it if there's, if occasionally you get a book with no author and they're like, yay. If you just get the author out of the way, everything would be plain sailing. Yeah, <laughs> fine. I'm like, well, the author, you can't do anything without the author. That's it. So, exactly. Um, so I think, I think being a publisher did make me a better writer. I actually don't know that being an editor made me, no, I think being a publisher, being a writer made me a better publisher. But I don't know that being an editor made me a better writer because actually what you have to do when you're writing is shut out that editorial Mm. voice that Mm. says, you know, that little critical person on your shoulder that's whispering in your ear, you know, if people have done this before, why would people be interested? Who's going to buy this? How how is this going to sell? Um, All those more sort of maybe Mm. editorial questions or like um, uh, sort of practical uh, work-based questions, you have to absolutely remove them when you're writing. So actually maybe, I don't know that being an editor um, helped me be a writer because it, it it's just sometimes hard to shut out that um, editorial voice who's sort of looking for that. I mean, you know, when you read as an editor, you it is a critical, you know, it's criti- you're reading critically. So you are looking for things that, you know, need attention or need more thought from the author or something. But you can't be doing that when you're writing or you just paralyse yourself. Yeah. So, yeah, probably help one way, James, but not the other. Well, it's funny, you know, because Leonie, who I've mentioned a couple of times, she would read these websites where people put up their, their rejection letters and then they got basically get really personal with the person who sent it and so aren't looking on the, looking back at their own work and seeing that they might be part of the problem here. And she said it really upset her when... She would hear people talking about publishers as being these people who just wanted to crush the dreams of writers. And she said, I don't know how to get through to them that if you send me the next Harry Potter, I'm publishing that thing and I'm going to, I'm going to love you forever because we want to publish books that sell and, and entertain and, and people love and we need you to write those books. So don't look on us as the enemy. We're your friend. You just need to come with something that we can work with. Exactly. And also I think... People sometimes underestimate to, like, sometimes it happens with the public. It certainly happened with me where, you know, once a book, if, if, it's, if somebody sends something in and you, you know, maybe the editor reads it and, and they really love it or think it's, you know, really got something and then they show it to the publisher and then the publisher was also really positive about it. Like every book is like a startup for the publisher. The publisher's then got to sell it to the rest of the company, particularly if it's a big legacy publisher. Mm. You've got to take it through all these meetings, acquisitions, process, which can be months of work. And every time, every one of these meetings with the sales and marketing people and with the um, other editorial team, the rest of the editorial team, 
you're selling that that book and you have to be prepared to sell it for um you know for maybe two years before it's actually out there in the world like it takes a long time to publish a book and so sometimes it's really heartbreaking for the publisher too if you don't get it up because you you really loved it and certainly there's I, I won't name names but there's this one author who she used to send me stuff all the time at Penguin and I, she was a really good writer but there was I didn't ever get anything up she was, it's fairly quiet the writing was fairly quiet and was very poetic and um but there was always something to love about her language and I always thought she she I really hope she succeeds because she actually is talented and and she also kept sending stuff in and the whole time I was at Penguin I never I never got anything up I took a couple of things to acquisitions meetings and they didn't get up and then she after I left Penguin she um you know approached a smaller publishing company and she's had incredible success with Mm. that smaller publishing company and so I'm so thrilled like it you know I I I feel so happy when I see her books doing well because I think, yeah, she did deserve that. Mm. And so, yeah, sort of the publishers know they're not the enemy and um, they, you know, sometimes they, their hearts are broken too when they can't get a book up that yeah. they think really merit. And they love it when they see that another publisher has picked it up and made it work. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Jane. I've really enjoyed chatting with you today and uh, I hope that anyone who's listening who might be might be interested in in what you've had to say but wants to explore it further might go to the westwards clubhouse westwards.com.au slash clubhouse where you were the guests through february weren't you i was yes there's lots of different bits and pieces and tips for young writers and Mm. uh, me trying to explain how what my process is yeah and everyone's process is a bit different and but your your posts are very insightful and and wonderful to read, so I recommend people get along and have a read of those. Oh, thanks, James. And really nice to chat with you too. And um, yeah, I hope that's been interesting for people. I'm sure it has. Before we before we the go, web- what's your website, Jane? Uh, my website is janegodwin.com.au, mm-hmm. and and uh, there's stuff about my books and stuff about what I do. And I'm also um, on Instagram, as I mentioned, with my wacky. Um, muddled Instagram uh, is uh, at Janie Godwin, J-A-N-I-E. All right. Well, thank you so much for talking to us today. I've really enjoyed it and uh, good luck with the rest of your writing and we'll talk again soon. Thanks very much, James. Lovely to chat with you.